Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Hop aboard for a safari-like adventure as we venture into the Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm the top dog around here, Andrew Ojay. Let's meet the rest of this movie cinephile animal kingdom, as we call it a little bit. He's as cute as a chipmunk and as huggable as a sloth, Mr. Nate Lungarini. <laughs> as long as I'm a cute and cuddly furry creature, I'm a happy camper. Yeah. Don't give me scales. I don't I don't do well with that. So I wrote two for Jake. I want to read them both uh, <laughs> just because I like them both. Let me I'll read Great. the first one. It's kind of uh, this one's kind of basic. I wouldn't need to be Dr. Doolittle because I talk to this animal all the time. Mr. Jake Hensler. Oh, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good one. I like that one. And then the second that's one a borderline is borderline compliment. He He's as cute as a koala, but he also probably has chlamydia. Mr. Jake Hensler. Like there, that it was, oh, there it is. There it is. That's the one I was one. waiting for. <laughs> I like them both, so I had to read them both. But. Yeah, that's that's fine. You couldn't settle for the compliment. You had to find something else. <laughs> Neither one's great, Jake. <laughs> Astute listeners will note that my animal puns kind of imply that we are talking about an animal-like movie today. If you're just joining the Middle Seeds podcast for the very first time, our show is divided into three distinct segments. It's three and a half. I'll explain what that means in a bit. We always start with a crew-selected topic we talk about for 10 to 15 minutes called Lobby Talk. Then we go to our box office draft update, which Nate will get into in a little bit. Then we get into the big news of the week, and then we move into a feature review with a non-spoiler and spoiler section. This week, it is of the adaptation starring Robert Downey Jr., the third attempt, I believe, to adapt Dr. Doolittle. This one's simply called Doolittle. There are a bunch of time codes in the description below, so if you want to listen to one specific part of the pod, you can find those time codes and skip ahead. We hope you join us for all of it, but we understand that you are busy people. Thank you for giving us some of our time. Anyway, let's move on to our lobby talk segment, and this week the onus is on Mr. Jake Hensler. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. All right, it was a bit of a, a bit of an easy week to pick a lobby talk because the Oscar nominations came out exactly a week ago as of this recording. And I figured we would just talk about that because by the time you guys hear it, Oscar season will be in very much full effect. So we're just going to shoot the crap because I can't say the other <laughs> word about the Oscars. <laughs> or you could have just gone with Breeze. Breeze? Shoot the Breeze? Yeah, that's a thing. I've never heard that. I've never heard that really? either. That is definitely a phrase. No. Hundred percent. No, must must be a weird Jersey thing. No, that's a weird um, old person thing more than anything. <laughs> all right, Jake, let's cut the cheese on it. All right. So first of all, at least in the acting categories, looking like a relatively simple Oscar season, unless they decide to throw us a huge curveball. The front runners from early on have been uh, Joaquin for lead male, Brad Pitt for supporting male, Renee Zellweger for lead female, and then Laura Dern for supporting female. Um, so yeah, I almost, I almost forgot who the lead was, but it's Renee Zellweger, uh, for Judy. I haven't seen it, but they all just won the Screen Actors Guild Awards. They've been the front runners from the beginning and it looks like they're going to take home the acting awards. But the, 
the rest is still kind of uh, still kind of up in play. There's a lot of movies, some surprises like, honestly, Joker getting the most nominations of any movie this year. I don't think anybody predicted that. <laughs> definitely not this crew. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, predicting maybe a little bit. You can kind of see things like that coming. But man, like eleven is just like Lord uh, of the 11? Rings. Lord of the Rings got eleven. Return of the King. Exactly. And I know I'm the high man of the three of us, and even I was like, "What are we doing? Why? Why eleven nominations for Joker?" <laughs> yeah, Jake. Before we run down what we think is going to happen, who the main contenders are, let me just go through who is nominated for Best Picture. So we've yeah. got Ford v Ferrari. We have The Irishman. We have Jojo Rabbit. We have Joker. We have Little Women. Marriage Story. 1917. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then Parasite. And Jake, what are the main contenders out of those few? Nothing is ever 100% um, like always going to happen with the Oscars. Sometimes they're unpredictable. Sometimes they just decide not to follow the trends. But generally speaking, for a movie to win Best Picture, it's almost always nominated for a writing, directing, editing, and some kind of acting. In play leaves, uh, I believe, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, Parasite, Joker... And there's one. There's one I'm missing. 1917, right? Yes, yes. That's yeah. I. I. I haven't seen that one yet, so I forgot about it. But I think those are the five front runners for Best Picture right now of the yeah. nine nominated. And I think the top out of those five and has separated itself a little bit in recent days is 1917. Yeah, you can just feel it starting to pick up steam as the season goes along. Like we talk about how little the Golden Globes actually mean, but when paired with other things, the Golden Globes can have significance. So 1917 won the Golden Globe and it won the PGA as well. There hasn't been a movie that has won both and lost Best Picture since like the early 2000s. So that's a good sign for 1917. There's some precedent there. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, I mean, I'm not a big believer in one singular award meaning something, but I do believe in trends. And I think, especially with how it's doing at the box office right now, it would bequeath the Academy to reward it in big ways to get people watching. Same thing, I mean, same with Joker by that logic, but still. Like, 1917 is the movie right now because it timed well when they released it. Absolutely. Yeah, and that is good producing. (laughs) I don't want to use the term Oscar bait because I don't think the movie was trying to be, but generally speaking, these types of films get the Academy's attention. Uh, Historical dramas, something creative, in this case, making the entire movie like a one-take Birdman won off for a similar premise a couple right. of years ago. Yep. There's a reason Tropic Thunder is a take on Oscar Beatty movies and it's a war movie. Like, war movies play well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I would have no um, hard feelings if it won. It's not my favorite out of this list. I think out of all of the ones here, I would love to see Parasite win, but that feels like a long shot. I thought it was a long shot even getting to this category. Honestly, I would love to see it won because it was one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, as hopefully you guys listened, but also because it, it would be historic, right? A foreign film hasn't hasn't won Best Picture? Never, and it came close last year. Yeah, Roma was so close. <laughs> like, we got very close, and then the exact opposite of a inclusive movie won. Like, <laughs> like Green Book just came and snatched it away. So that would be a nice, like, mulligan for the Academy to give it to Parasite. It won the SAG, so, I mean, it is still in play. I just don't know how much it's still in play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be very cool with that. I actually haven't seen 1917 yet. The three Best Picture nominees I'm missing are 1917, Ford v. Ferrari, and Jojo Rabbit. Uh, 1917, obviously the most important right now. I'm along with Nate 
on the thinking on 1917, where I would actually be okay with it winning, but it's definitely not one of my tops. Like, every movie we talked about is a top contender except for Joker. I'd like to see above it. Like, Hollywood, Parasite, Irishman, if any of those won, I'd be happier with it winning over 1917. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm rooting for Parasite because Bong Joon-ho is just awesome. It's very interesting because you see a lot of the time, and somebody pointed this out on Twitter, you see a lot of the time when movies are winning major awards during award season, the backlash starts, where it'll be like, let's yeah. take like La La Land from a couple years ago. La La Land started winning a lot of things, and people were like, it wasn't so good, it's overrated, so-and-so, yada, 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 for various different reasons, some reasonable, some not. That yep. hasn't happened with Parasite yet. Everybody loves this movie. Like, every single person that has seen it, like people that don't even watch foreign films sometimes, every single person that has watched it has at least liked it, if not absolutely fallen in love with it. Yeah, I've, I've been telling... All my friends who like movies, go absolutely watch it. Find it somewhere and just for, sit down and watch it. I know it's I know it's a foreign film, but like too damn bad. It is way too good to <laughs> it's just worth your time. to skip mm -hmm. over because it's a foreign film. Uh, moving on, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like the dark horse candidate because it's meta. And Hollywood mm -hmm. loves stories about how Hollywood works. Look at the artist. Look at Birdman again. There's so many examples of that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's super creative, which they also like. Um, you know, there, it's a movie about Hollywood and it's a take on what Hollywood could have been like had there not been a tragic murder. What's not to like if you're a big time Hollywood producer? And they've never fully committed to Tarantino either. Like he's won a lot of writing awards, but they've never given him the big prize. So maybe this is the year. Mm -hmm. I, th it, I think this is his first or second time getting a director nom. I think his second. But yeah, he's not as he's not seen in the director category that often for such a high profile director. Yeah. And it doesn't help that he only does movies once every like five years at this point, too. But mm, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there are some heavyweights really fighting it out here, especially in the director's category, like Tarantino and Scorsese are obviously mano y mano. Um, but then obviously Mendez is getting a lot of attention for just how technically accomplished 1917 is. Right. Are there any snubs we can think of that really made us angry? Any surprises or anything? Little Women not getting in for best directing. Mm. Yeah. I personally would have liked to see Noah Baumbach in there, too, because I loved Marriage Story. But right. you can only get five. I think all of us would agree that one of those two should have probably taken Todd Phillips' place. I don't want to mm. speak for everybody. No, but that, uh, definitely. Yeah, I'm we all gave that. Joker middling to pretty good reviews. And I don't think any of us really praised Todd Phillips' direction. It was all Joaquin Phoenix, and, like, he is justifiably in Best Actor, but I wouldn't put him in there. I think Phillips did get a, did get a very good, like, intense, dark tone to it, which, you know, fit the movie, but it wasn't directed better than Marriage Story Little Woman. Right. Yeah, I'm glad that Little Women did get a little bit more than I expected, though. Like, it was right there in the writing categories. Obviously, Saoirse mm -hmm. got her nomination. I, yeah. like, was giddy when I heard that Florence Pugh got nominated because that's amazing. I wasn't expecting that. It came at the cost of J-Lo, which surprised me. Like, Hustlers, I think, may have just peaked too early. That was the big problem for that one. Mm. But, yeah, Little Women got a little bit more love than I expected, especially in some of the supporting acting categories. Yeah, which I'm I'm very cool with. I... I loved Florence Pugh in Midsummer, and I thought she was really good in Little Women, and I, I can't wait to see what she keeps doing. So I'm very happy that she's getting recognized. A fun little trivia bit, I think, is about Scarlett Johansson. She's in both supporting actress and leading actress, yeah, which does correct. not happen often. That That's very impressive. 
What a year for her. Avengers Endgame and then this. Best year of her career and worst year of her career. I've been saying that over and over. <laughs> Got engaged to Colin Jost. High point. Said she could play a tree. Low point. Just weird, <laughs> weird balance. <laughs> you know how it is. Reality often balances itself out, as our, as our good friend Thanos might used to say. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing I want to bring up, as far as uh, score goes, John Williams is in there for Star Wars, which, you know, is fitting. It's fine. So he's won five Oscars. Can you guess how many times he's been nominated? Uh, is a trillion an answer? Yeah, I was going to say. I was, I was going to go. <laughs> it's a little lower than that. Ugh. I'm going to go with, like, 20. It's a little much, but. Nate? Uh, I'll go I'll go high. I'll go 34. Oh. So I, I counted twice just to make sure. He's been nominated 52 times. That's ridiculous. <laughs> 52 times. His first win, I think, was Jaws. If I remember that correctly, and he's just now Star Wars Rise of Skywalker is his 52nd nomination of his career. That's unbelievable. That's what happens when you put out banger after banger. Like, yeah, when you're just I mean, you're just the OG of the music scores. Yeah. Star Wars Rise of Skywalker getting three nods. Avengers Endgame only getting one. That's presented without commentary. I don't have any opinions about that. I'm just saying it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny? There's a good chance that. Neither of them win as many Oscars as Suicide Squad did a few years ago. Oh, let's okay. I think that's a good pivot. <laughs> it's a good pivot point to wrap up before I start to getting enraged a little early tonight. I had to. <laughs> so, what are your guys' thoughts on the Oscar nominations? Please comment. Let us know. Is there any big snubs that we didn't talk about? We didn't even talk about Sandler. We didn't talk about Defoe and Pattinson. But there's just too much to cover. We need to move on in the show, and Nate now is going to take the floor a little bit and talk about our box office draft and give us a very key update in that. All you care about is money. The box office disaster. Money, money, money. Alrighty, let's get into the box office update. Now, just in case you haven't been caught up on what the box office draft is, a few weeks ago, Jake, Drew, and I all drafted a set of movies, uh, fantasy football style. We went in snake order, picked our movies, and we'll go through every week and see how they're doing at the box office. We look at domestic numbers, and whichever team makes the most money at the end of the season, ending in April, wins the draft. The loser of the draft has to watch a terrible movie that the other two people get to decide three times in a row. So we are officially past the crest of Star Wars. So the box office is really starting to even itself out. And that means that our race is closer than ever. I'm still maintaining a lead and I'm getting a big bump because bad boys for life. So much better than any of us expected. (laughs) We're talking about like a 60, possibly $70 million opening, which is crazy. To quote Martin Lawrence, shit just got real. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I'm sitting very pretty right now. And poor Drew is falling way behind, even with that big Star Wars bump, and won't have another movie coming out until Sonic the Hedgehog. All the rest of his films are plateauing, and Star Wars is crawling towards 500 million. Only 500 mil, yeah. (laughs) But as a comparison, though, Frozen 2 has 465. That's crazy. And it's consistently chugging out 5 million a weekend. I'm not saying there's a chance that Frozen 2 could catch up to it, but if you had told me that it would be this close 
when we started this thing, I would have called you a liar. What a podcast for surprises. Joker mm-hmm. getting 11 Oscar nominations, Frozen 2 competing with Star Wars. Yeah. What the hell? Get ready for another surprise when Sonic the Hedgehog pulls out a $100 million opening, guys. If it beats Detective Pikachu, just as a fan, I'm going to be upset. (laughs) Sega is going to be just gloating over Nintendo. (laughs) Uh, Well, we'll see. Besides Bad Boys for Life, not too much to update on uh, me and Drew. But Jake does have a little bit of movement here. Uh, because 1917, as we just were talking about, has phenomenal reviews and is in full Oscar mode, and that means people are going out in droves to see this movie, and it's holding incredibly well. Looks like Andrew might be watching some pretty crappy movies in a few months. (laughs) Honestly, what's new? Like, (laughs) kind of resigned myself to this fate at this point. (sighs) Only other hiccup in Jake's team that could make things interesting is that the movie he swapped out yeah. for Cats was Doolittle, which coincidentally is the movie we're reviewing today. So we'll find <laughs> out if it's good or not in a couple of minutes. But from a box office perspective, it has been underwhelming at best. Yeah. Opening around 25, maybe 30 million. Not a great start. It's going to do better than Cats is. Yeah. Cats is plateauing at like 30 million tops. Honestly... It's doing better than I expected, which, I mean, is more about tempered expectations, but still. Absolutely. <laughs> but Doolittle, depending on how it holds, can make anything from like 40 to 60 million, which is not great when the race is this tight. So, Jake, you better hope for a miracle in the next couple well, weeks. I, I, I still got some big releases coming out. I got time. You got one big release left, buddy. Onward. <laughs> but it's a big <laughs> <In> one. March. <laughs> Jake, do you have anything to say to Robert Downey Jr. for this failure? Oh, I'm so disappointed. You were the star of the biggest movie ever, and this is how you follow it up? Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's really it. We're kind of in a holding pattern until one of us gets another big hit. But Bad Boys for Life and Doolittle are our new additions to the roster, and I'm sitting pretty, Jake not so much. Well, you're always pretty, so it doesn't count. <laughs> Appreciate it. We're not going to be talking about Bad Boys for Life any further on this podcast. I just want to get on the record and say that they absolutely wasted that title when now they're thinking about making a fourth one. That's all I got to say. Like, they lo- they learned nothing from the <laughs> Fast and the Furious franchise as far as title puns go with numbers. <laughs> I thought we fixed this problem in the early 2000s. <laughs> you know, like, we had Fan 4 stick there as a brief little blip, but people hated that. Why are we back to this point? I think my favorite of all time is when the 7 title had a 7 instead of a V. Yep. <laughs> Good lord. Like, C- <laughs> Seven in. Uh, that's how that goes, right? Like, that's what <laughs> that is. what that is. Yeah, that was silly. For a great yeah. movie to do that, that was silly. <laughs> For David Fincher to do that, too. Oh, yeah. Right. Anyway, let's talk about some potential future blockbusters that might be a part of the box office draft in the future and move into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. We're talking news here on the Middle Seeds Podcast. Let's go into our first story here. I know, I know. I said we would cool off with the Star Wars talk, but let's just get into it a little bit here because this is actually some pretty good forward movement. Uh, We don't know when the next Star Wars movie is coming out. We don't know what it's going to look like. We do know that this year that there will be a season two of The Mandalorian. The person who directed the last episode of The Mandalorian was Taika Waititi who a lot of you obviously know as the director of Thor Ragnarok and now the director of Jojo Rabbit. 
directed that last episode, and he voiced the droid IG-88 throughout the entire series. He's obviously a big favorite for Disney because they brought him back. He's going to be doing Thor Love and Thunder, which is coming out late next year. Uh, he's got another movie in between Jojo Rabbit and Thor Love and Thunder called Next Goal Wins, which has Michael Fassbender, Elizabeth Moss in it. So that's what his trajectory is looking like. After all that, rumors came out this week, and he kind of addressed it cutely on Twitter by posting a picture of Fleetwood Mac's rumors, kind of addressing that, yes, this is something that's happening. <laughs> and the only way that Taika Waititi could address something like that, he is in talks to direct a Star Wars film. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we do know that Taika Waititi's style is very different than any kind of style for, like J.J. Abrams or George Lucas or even Ryan Johnson's style. Completely different as far as visual and comedic tone goes. So with that being said, I guess the question is very simple. Would you guys be interested in a Taika Waititi-directed uh, Star Wars movie? Nate, let's start with you. As long as it isn't the writers of Game of Thrones working on the Star Wars project, I'm happy. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, they were in talks for Disney's next Star Wars trilogy and then were booted out. In terms of these rumors, the current ones, Taika would be interesting. He definitely has more of the humor aspect that was more present in the sequel trilogy, and it would be continuing on with that Marvel-ish type of humor, but without being too, uh, what's the word, run-of-the-mill. Uh, Taika Waititi definitely has his own voice. Like, just look at Thor 3 compared to the other movies. It's less about the quips and more about just weird humor, awkward situations. And that can be a lot of fun. In terms of it fitting into a Star Wars mold, I'm curious. I don't know if it's going to blow me away just off of that premise alone, but it's exciting. Jake, I know you're a big fan of Thor in general, and especially Thor Ragnarok. What do you think of this? Yeah, um, his his visual style for Thor 3 was awesome. So by that alone, I'm down to watch him do a Star Wars movie. Um, I personally would rather see Ryan Johnson, but I'm not as familiar with Taika. I didn't see Jojo Rabbit yet. I've seen a little bit more of Ryan Johnson, and I know I like his Star Wars ideas. But yeah, I think that's a great idea. He's he's quirky. He's unique. He's got a great visual style. He can handle indies and blockbusters. I'm totally fine with that choice. We can't really speak to what the plan is going to be as far as the films he's going to potentially make. Like, we have no idea if it's going to be part of a larger trilogy or if they're just going to be one-shot ideas, like quick standalone movies that take place in the Star Wars universe. I think I would prefer him to not work within the parameters of setting up, like, a longer story. Agreed. I think he works better in smaller, isolated doses. Uh, I can definitely see, like, a good Star Wars underworld story. It's kind of like a longer extended version of a Star Wars version of the Sakaar segments of Thor Ragnarok with Jeff Goldblum's like Grandmaster mm -hmm. world like something right. like that just isolated with Taika's storytelling and his sensibilities I think would work really well I mean I'll see anything he does he's the hot name right now obviously like I said yeah, he's, he's gotten big, a lot of traction since Thor Ragnarok mm -hmm. yeah big favorite over at Disney obviously as well and it's deserved you know like he works his butt off he's been working underground in the indie fair for probably a decade at this point. Uh, two great movies, What We Do in the Shadows and Hunt for the Wilder People, coming before Thor, Thor Ragnarok. Both great, uh, underrated movies. If you haven't seen them, please check them out. But again, he's just been building his voice. So I just hope if they do allow him to make this movie, that it's not Kathleen Kennedy trying to silence him like she tried yeah. to do with Lord Miller when yeah. they were making Solo. 
Like, they know what they're getting into with him, especially working with him on Mandalorian. Don't try to censor that. Speaking of Solo, I kind of wish we could retroactively go back in time and put him in Solo's shoes there. I think Mm. he would have been a great voice for the character because in the original trilogy, Harrison Ford was kind of like the audience surrogate in a way of just like, what the heck is this all about? I don't know. I'm just going to shoot the thing. Yeah, Nate, you're actually right. Yeah, that's so up Taika's alley. I think that he would have been a great voice for it, and obviously it's too late now. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if there's that type of character in the Star Wars canon. Now, hopefully they can make a new character to kind of fit that mold. Yeah. But I don't know. It would be interesting. I do agree with you, Drew, though. I definitely would prefer a solo adventure. Not solo the character. Like a individual self-contained <laughs> yeah. adventure Yeah. Uh, to an overarching trilogy. I think that's too much. I just don't think we need that period anymore right now for Star Wars. Like, they need to know that. Like, the last two trilogies have been divisive, so let's just go with – explore this universe yeah. like we've been asking for for decades since Return of the Jedi ended. Yeah, we don't need any more – like, they're great. We love the Skywalkers, but we've seen plenty of them, and very recently. <laughs> let's go elsewhere. Right. Like, we don't need to see the same five families over and over again. <laughs> let's move to a very different Disney property, folks. Before Disney acquired Marvel and Star Wars, a lot of their brand was Pixar and Disney Animated and then a bunch of live-action PG adventure films, for lack of a better word. Obviously, there was that golden era with Pirates of the Caribbean. There was Hidalgo. I don't know why I'm including Hidalgo as part of any kind of golden age, but it happened. (laughs) Same time period. Uh, And also part of that was the National Treasure movies. Now, the first film came out in 2004, of course, with Nicolas Cage in all his glory kidnapping the Declaration of Independence. It made over $340 million worldwide. Second film made even more. He kidnaps the president in the second film, and he made $457 million worldwide. Then, like the Avatar, he vanished. <laughs> Benjamin Gates, the character vanished, and apparently now Disney is in development for National Treasures 3. It would be, at this point, it's been 13 years since the release of Book of Secrets, which is the second one. It does not say if Nicolas Cage is coming back. I'm sure he will be. He said in the past he's game. Uh, it does not say if this is going to theaters or he's Disney+. He's game Plus. for everything. He does anything that people ask him to do. It's true. Yeah. yeah. If Disney's going to offer him a paycheck, he will absolutely be the first one on that set. He'd play three roles if he had to. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. <laughs> he does everything. <laughs> I don't think he's very discerning with his scripts. Um, it still remains to be seen if this is going to be into theaters or Disney+. Plus. I'm sure they'll probably put it in theaters if, the, if it made that much money. And, like, a lot of people are, like, anticipating this. I don't know if, if it's in a meme way or anything else. We've got our pitches for what we want to see in a National Treasure 3. We'll get to those in a second. First, preliminarily, Jake, are you excited for the idea of another entry into this long, dormant franchise? It's It's got to be goofy. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember enjoying the first one when it came out as a kid. I did not see the second one. So I don't. I wouldn't say I'm excited for it. I wouldn't say I care all that much, but if you want me to care, you have to make it more fun. Absolutely do not take it seriously. Play to your strengths. Know that people want to watch it for nostalgic reasons, and I don't know. That's really it. I'm not surprised they're doing this at all. They they are preying on our nostalgia. Now, Nate, I know what you're thinking. What took so long, right? <laughs> I am a fairly large fan, I guess you could say, of the first one, uh, but... A lot of that definitely is nostalgia talking because you have to understand that this was the bus trip movie. I went on a lot of bus <laughs> yes. trips as a kid, oh, yeah. oh, yes. and it was on every single time. Doesn't matter the group. 
And uh, my dad's a Freemason, so he loves this movie because he thinks he's part of this secret organization with underground tunnels and whatnot. <laughs> and he probably is. I don't know. I'm not allowed. But <laughs> You know, I could totally see it. Yeah. You absolutely would be the son of a guy in a secret organization with treasures and things like that. Man, I love the concept that this these movies are like financed by Greyhound Bus because they're just on in the background all the time. That's so cool. And I didn't uh, think I didn't put that together until you just said it, but that's so true. It was it was that oh or the sandlot yeah. always on. Uh. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I definitely have a little bit of a soft spot for the original. Uh the second one was fine, but wasn't great. I think if they did come back and they brought back Nicolas Cage and everything, I would just hope that they don't go all in on like I think it's page 52 of the book of secrets that they teased in the second one. I, I just looked it up. It's uh, it's a little lower. It's like 47, I think, or something. Yeah. Whatever number it is, arbitrary number, don't go all in on a whole story on that one little gag. Make that yeah. a gag if you want, but you don't need to base an entire movie off of that. It, it won't end well. What's the basic premise of the second one? Isn't his father involved in like the assassination of Lincoln or something? Or yeah, his father is framed for <laughs> killing Abraham Lincoln by the bad guy who only did that to get Nicolas Cage on the hunt for the city of gold. It's very convoluted. Are you telling me? <laughs> are you telling me that Trump seriously actually accused people of what the National Treasure Two plot is? Yeah, pretty much. How have how has nobody put this on the internet yet? <laughs> I'm sure it's been oh done. Oh, my God. But, again, not a lot of people saw National Treasure 2 and liked it, so maybe that's why. Myself included. <laughs> a l- more that. people saw it than the original, though. Like, I remember I saw that opening weekend. It was a big-time Christmas release. The first film was a Thanksgiving release. Went up against the first SpongeBob movie. The second one went up against Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Big competition there. Um, oh, Lord. But How do you know this? Why? Because I'm a psychopath. Like, we've been <laughs> over this. <laughs> They're goofy fun. They're so stupid. This man kidnaps the president and doesn't go to jail for life. Like, <laughs> so it's a very, very important that if they do it and keep the original tone, you have to keep the goofiness. Don't yeah. pull like a men in black right. and try to go like half and half. It's not going to work well. So, so Nate, let's let's move off of that now. You're marching into Disney. See, you walk waltz right past security. You knee Mickey Mouse and the Nads and just walk into Bob Iger's office. And you're like, I've got the script treatment right here for National Treasures 3. What does that script treatment say? Well, really, all you need to do is huff a little bit of glue and just like scroll through the pages of a history textbook and just whatever page you land on, just put your finger on it. And those are the proper nouns that you're putting in. So here's what I landed on. Uh, Nicholas Cage is Benjamin Gates again. Great name. <laughs> he needs to decode a message. Where is the message? It's on the Liberty Bell. So the opening act of this movie is them super gluing the Liberty Bell together to close the crack to try to figure out what the message says. From there, there's a message leading to Stonehenge. Because at Stonehenge, there's another clue that only is available every 25 years because of the way that the sun hits Stonehenge. So when they get to Stonehenge, they have to realize that there's some kind of message there, basically. They're like going to see a torn piece of the paper from the Book of Secrets like that was accidentally ripped out of, oh, okay, I'll say it, page 47. <gasps> <laughs> and they'll line it up with the Stonehenge rocks and they'll read a message. And the message will have untold secrets about the murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand that led to World War One. 
And from there, I don't want to spoil the rest for you guys because I know you're already buying your advanced tickets right oh, now. Oh, I'm I'm riveted, Trill. <laughs> it's not bad because it's the, it's not going to be that far off from what they do. Uh, and the movie will be called <laughs> National Treasure Ferdinanza. <laughs> there you go. So that's National Treasure Three, in my opinion. Thanks. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not bad. You could make that work. I think my biggest complaint, true, is that they already used the Liberty Bell in the first movie as like a fake. Uh, red herring clue. Mm. Well, they missed it. They missed the clue the first time. <laughs> but do, does Disney have the rights to Indiana Jones? What studio has Indiana Jones? Oh, Disney. And they're making an Indiana Jones 5, which is coming out, supposed to come out next year, but I don't know if that's happening. We've heard nothing about it. Are you it. trying to propose a crossover, Jake? Wait, so I, th- I'm, I think I'm onto something. Um, so Disney has the rights to Indiana Jones. I'm not proposing throw him in there. But his world fits in National Treasure world. So I feel like there's going to be something Area 51 based, but I don't want it to be aliens. Right. We've seen plenty of aliens. National Treasure 3 is going to have to do something goofy that's elsewhere. I don't want Benjamin Gates finding aliens. Indiana Jones 4 already did aliens too. So right. we need and a it different didn't, And it didn't work. So what I propose is they do, they do need to break into Area 51, <laughs> 51 and they find... <laughs> The Indiana Jones thing where there's just hundreds of thousands of boxes and they have to find a clue among all those boxes. And all of a sudden they have to be very careful about what they're opening, what they're not opening. And it kind of becomes like Parks and Rec where Ron and Ben (laughs) are flipping over the snow globes looking for clues. They're just going from boxes looking for clues. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't get that far, but this is part of a concept that I Can I pitch the last scene? Yeah. Uh, There's like a news report on the TV and the shot pans down to the end of the, like, they're in a diner, and it pans down to the end, and Indiana Jones, is he's sitting in one of the booths, kind of like uh, Bruce Willis at the end of Split. <laughs> and then the next film. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> the next film is the big extravaganza. And you know, like, they're going to almost open the arc, and and they're going to be like, wait, there's something about this one I don't think we should open. Can you imagine you know? them going to Harrison Ford's house and pitching this shit to him as a crossover? <laughs> He'd say, get the f- my house. They, they would kick him out of the house, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. The last thing we need is a long-running six-movie plan to the next <laughs> franchise. I, almost, I would almost want it to be like, like no Indiana Jones characters get involved, just a little Easter egg for fans. Like, oh my god, they're in the place that Raiders of the Lost Ark ended. How cool would that be? <laughs> and then just that, leave it, it, it there. Yeah. Don't do anything else. Yeah. But like, how bad was Glass compared to Split? You know, it, <laughs> yeah. once you once you reach that crossover point, it needs to be good after the fact. And I guarantee you it would not. <laughs> That's why I'm saying just make it an Easter egg. Don't make Area 51 aliens go where Raiders went, but then just leave it there. Don't even do anything else with Raiders. Leave Raiders alone. See, the way I see it is that they can improve on their work, Nate. It's just kind of like they can improve the concept. I don't know. I, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen as I say it. But I, I just love I think the this conversation is a disaster. Yeah, I came up with this in five minutes. I just love the idea of Harrison Ford sitting in a diner booth, eating like an eclair with his whip in his hand and then his like hat in the other, and like as, as Nicholas Cage just runs in with God knows what in his hand. Yeah. Somehow I don't think Disney's gonna go for that. But also, I don't think they're going to go for a movie that relates to World War One as well and conspiracy theories. So we have a little fine-tuning to do. We have a lot of time before National Th- Treasure 3 comes out, so we'll obviously do a little fine-tuning with our ideas. But I would say I'm very proud of what I came up with there. Talking about a movie that is coming out a lot more closer to now than National Treasure 3, 
let's completely switch gears and talk about a movie. We kind of talked a little bit about crossovers with Indiana Jones and National Treasure. Now we've got a different kind of crossover. Uh, Here's the trailer for Morbius. I should have died years ago. And I'm running out of time. You're up to something. What is it? I went from dying. I feel like more alive than ever. Increased strength and speed. And an overpowering urge to consume blood. How far are we allowed to go? To fix something that's broken. Until the remedy is worse than the disease. What's up, Doc? Morbius is the latest film in Sony's Spider-Verse. It is directed by Daniel Espinoza, who directed Safe House with Ryan Reynolds and Denzel Washington, and Life, also with Ryan Reynolds and Jake Gyllenhaal in that one. That's kind of like alien light. It stars Jared Leto as biochemist Michael Morbius, who tries to cure himself of a rare blood disease, but obviously isn't very good at it. Becomes He becomes a vampire instead. I don't know how that happens, but I guess we'll figure it out. Uh, it also stars Jared Harris, Tyrese Gibson, Matt Smith. And here's the big twist. Much like Venom, it is supposedly connected in some ways to the MCU, in some ways to Sony's Spider-Verse in general. At the end of the trailer, you see Michael Keaton as Vulture. Uh, there are rumors that Tom Holland is in this in some capacity. I don't know if that's just like a photo. There's rumors that J.K. Simmons is in this in some capacity as J. Jonah Jameson. So who the hell knows what's going on? Venom 2 is also coming out this year. Morbius is due out in, I believe, late July. Sounds about right. They showed the trailer in front of Why not put that out in October? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you got me. Okay, uh, whatever. I, I've got a lot of questions <laughs> about this. Nate. I know you want to tackle some of these questions first. What do you think of the trailer, and what do you think of this whole idea? All right, so the first thing that jumped out to me, Drew, was in your intro, you referred to this as the next installment to the Sony Spider-Verse. Do we have a Spider-Verse yet? I was under the impression we only have Venom. Yeah. They're claiming we do. Number two. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Way too early to call it a saga, my opinion. And if you want to argue that, like, the Spider-Man solo movies are part of this now, which I guess Sony is going to try to do. Which the trailer argues, because they go f- from the creators yeah, the of studio. Homecoming, far from home. Like, their big closer is Venom, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, Sony, you, Marvel made a movie, and you put it in theaters. I'm gonna call them out as the leeches they are. You know, like, you got yeah. the rights to the character, you might have distributed the film, but Marvel put yeah. the movies together. The exactly. Good ones, at least. You good took Lord. Marvel's movie, and you gave it to the theaters. You didn't do anything. Alright, alright. <laughs> so, taking it down, I'm already getting heated. The f- trailer itself it feels like Venom 2.0 for me, doesn't it? There's already yeah. a big scientist character. <laughs> he wants to become stronger in this case he's trying to overcome uh his handicaps i don't know exactly what his condition is it's some sort of weird makeup disease as far as i can tell does anyone feel like they're using the same sets like they look like they're I in the same surprise it's all yeah. the glass yeah it's a glass dirty hallway i swear to god no lighting whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's the exact same setup as the main villain from venom but now he's our anti-hero protagonist, I guess? I don't know. I'm not familiar with this character. I don't know if he's any popular or not. All I know is that he just looks like a vampire, but they didn't call him one in the trailer, so... 
that's about all I got for that. Jared Leto. Hopefully he's good. Sometimes he's weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's one way to put it. <laughs> that is, yeah. Sometimes he's weird. Yep. Well, he already um, ruined one character, so will he ruin two, Jake? Listen, I was a little excited for Venom because I love Tom Hardy. And not to reiterate last year how we just loved Tom Hardy and that was it. Okay, so Venom did not turn out well. Tom Hardy turned out well. Jared Leto is not the actor Tom Hardy is. I'm not confident in this at all. If Venom, a very, very popular character with an A-list actor, didn't go well, what do you think is going to happen here? You do not have the chops that Marvel has to distribute or make this movie. And you're just kind of reaching for characters to make people interested. I really do not think this is going to go very well. The best part about the trailer was Michael Keaton coming in and giving his Michael Keaton grin and the music I actually thought was kind of cool. But other than that, I watched it and went, okay. Yeah, I'm kind of done with Jared Leto, to be honest. Like, I, 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 we were cool when Dallas Buyers Club came out because I thought he was awesome in that and he deserved the Oscar. And then he ruined Joker. I mean, I, that obviously wasn't all him, but still, dude. Like, like Phoenix and Ledger waxed the floor with you in the span of, like, a sandwich of 12 to 15 <laughs> years. It's not cutting it, man. I, I love the idea that they they called Michael Keaton to set. They shot that. They put it in the trailer, and it didn't tell Kevin Feige. So he's just getting, like, 30,000 texts as the Morbius trailer goes live. Like, why the hell that was the why the hell is Keaton in this trailer? Yeah. That was the best part of the trailer. Yeah. And if Sony trailers are anything to go off of, like, they did this with Venom. They've done this with a lot of films. That last bit is going to be at the very end of the movie. Like, this is essentially going to be Nick Fury coming in. I want to tell you about the Avengers initiative at the end of uh, Iron Man. Like, uh. I wouldn't expect too much Spider-Verse building in this movie. So if you're excited for that, I would temper your expectations a little bit. You know what this has written all over it? Dark Universe. Mm. Major vibes. Of course, the Dark Universe, when they made that Tom Cruise mummy movie and then made no more movies, even though they planned like seven. <laughs> they had they had the cast take a photo together and then scrapped every movie because the mummy was so terrible. Like Venom 2 is coming. That'll make a lot of money. Andy Serkis is directing that. Woody Harrelson coming in as Carnage. You would hope that'd be better. I mean, I'm not going to make any guarantees till I see a trailer or I'm not going to make any guarantees until I see the movie, to yeah. be honest. Like. <laughs> I, I think this kind of looks like doo-doo, to be honest. I'm not into this. Do we know what it's going up against? It comes out late July? Yeah. I, I don't know, off the top of my head. I don't really care. <laughs> well, my, my theory is if it doesn't make money, maybe they'll try and start making good movies. <laughs> what a novel concept. Tall ask, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll be probably talking a lot more about Morbius, a big budget blockbuster coming out late in 2020. But let's talk about a big budget blockbuster coming out early in 2020 that will do it for our news segment let's move into our review of doolittle are you dr doolittle we have no choice but to embark on this perilous journey everyone pack your bags <laughs> i'm unavailable you can talk to animals yes Hello, lunch. This is very bad. I'm coming, Doc! Nobody told me there'd be a dragon! I'm too beautiful to die. To myself, oh, what a wonderful world. 
That was a snippet of the trailer for Doolittle, which is, let's do air quotes, directed by Steve Goggin. Uh, I say that because this is a $175 million production that has been pushed back like three times, and there's been a lot of reshoots. It's one of those movies where on opening weekend, that the Thursday it's coming out, the Hollywood Reporter or Deadline releases like a 15-paragraph expose about how troubled the production was. Right at the center of it is Robert Downey Jr. Him and his wife are producers on this. The cast is actually pretty crazy. In human roles, we have Robert Downey Jr., Antonio Banderas, Michael Sheen, Jim Broadbent, uh, Harry Collette, who is a newcomer. And then in voice roles, playing, of course, the animals that Dr. Doolittle can talk to, Emma Thompson, Remy Malek, John Cena, Kumail Nanjiani, Tom Holland, Craig Robinson, Octavia Spencer, Selena Gomez, Marianne Cotillard, Jason Manzukis, and Rafe Fiennes. Uh, just quickly, the plot. Dr. Doolittle lives in solitude. Uh, his wife has died. He doesn't want to see anybody. His only companionship comes from the exotic animals, but then people come knocking on his door. The queen has gone ill. Basically, if she dies, Dr. Doolittle loses his house, which seems a little bit of a selfish motivation to go and save her, but they go on a quest to save the queen and find the cure for the mysterious poison that she's drank. So guys, a lot of thoughts involved with this, and yet no thoughts at all, because this is a very interesting movie to talk about mm -hmm. in that it is a lot and nothing at all at the same time. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Andrew, we're not even there yet. Uh, well, Jake, let's start with you. What would be your general thoughts here on Doolittle? Uh, I know exactly how I want to start this. I saw it yesterday. When the credits rolled, a little kid, I think it was a little girl, I don't know, a little, little ways down the aisle from me, stood up and goes, I loved it. That was the best movie I've seen in my life. I did not have the same experience. dreams, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jake. <laughs> um, I related more to her grandfather, who was very old, couldn't walk on his own, had a cane, and was up and out the door faster than anybody. <laughs> That's who I related to. <laughs> like, like Willy Wonka. The man's cane fell at the beginning of the movie and he himself couldn't get up to pick it up. He was out of that chair in a second. So, um, yeah, it was pretty great. <laughs> I take it he didn't stick around for the post credit scene. No, he was he was out. I actually did. And I don't know why I did, but I did. Um, I felt more like the grandfather. I was like, get get me out of here. This was not fun. This was not well made. This was just, I think there were three moments where I cracked a smile from what was a scowl for most of the movie. Yeah, was not, was not a fan. This was pretty dull. <laughs> That's a good word for it. Uh, not to give away my review. Nate, let's go to you here. Uh, dull is a good word. I, I think it was just kind of boring. Uh, I know it's a synonym, but... Definitely was flashy, and I think maybe a young, young kid will like this movie, like the one that Jake had in his theater, like the couple of kids that were in mine. Right. Uh, it's it's flashy enough, and like I was a big animal kid growing up, and this movie is full of them, so you'll get something out of it. Um, I don't think it's as atrocious as some other critics have come out to attack this movie. Like this is getting railed on worse than Cats. Cats is an abomination. This is just boring and really poorly put together uh this movie feels like there was just no pre-production it was more uh, yeah. just like go to location ad lib your scene from your storyboard you know just kind of like the summary of the moment you need to yeah. get 
But like stick figures, like, yeah. And then go to the next <laughs> one. And there's no good transition scenes from anything. Yes. Even like in the same like action piece. Characters is just like popping up out of random moments. And we're just like, was there a script here before <laughs> they went for yeah. it? Or did they just do it all after the fact and just try to edit together? Uh. That's, that's what this movie felt like to me. It felt like a jumbled mess that's going to be entertaining for a very young kid. But as a adult watching this, it was just boring and stupid. I have thoughts where... I agree with you, and this is a thought I have every time I come out of these movies, because obviously we're not little kids. We don't have, know how little kids think, but at a certain point when we're complimenting a movie and we're saying little kids like it, little kids need to understand English, but the parents have to sit through it. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those where it's like, when is the line drawn where we're just recommending it for people that aren't even toilet trained? Mm. <laughs> it's just tough. It, it's funny, because I literally have written here on my notes both Nate and Jake, you both said this. I have very boring and dull is the first thing that I have <laughs> written. This is one of those movies that's supposed to be a grand adventure. It's supposed to be engaging for kids. This movie, it's just very rote, very generic. Doolittle's just crying about his wife the whole time. He's very grumpy and stubborn. He's not fun to be around. I don't know who the hell told Robert Downey Jr. was a good idea to do that accent because – it's like he tried it for five minutes in front of the mirror and nobody told him no. One of the things that the movie is being totally bombasted with and justifiably so is the fact that I think a good quarter, maybe a third of Robert Downey Jr.'s lines are told with his back towards the camera. Yeah, so it's ADR. Yeah. Yeah, that they essentially ad-libbed it in post and like just like – uh the one shot that we had of you just didn't work. The quality was bad, Downey. You got to do it again, and we can't show your face because it's not going to match up. Which leads me to ask, like, how much of this movie did they actually shoot and use? Because most of this movie is CGI. And, yeah. mm. like, how much of it is just a computer? Because the effects are really not very good, in my opinion. Like, they would no. have been impressive probably in, like, 2006, but we're in 2020. Like, some of these animals, they either don't look good or they saved money, there are shots of, like, they're, like, wide shots where you hear the animals talking. You'll hear, like, Kumail Nanjiani as the ostrich and John Cena as the polar bear talk to each other. Th these animals are not in the frame. Like, they're not. They're just saving money yeah. with the ADR. I noticed some of that, too. There are times where, like, like the giraffe will be talking, and then, like, two-thirds of the sentence, they'll cut. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Was she done? I, what happened? Like, why, why, yeah. why did you cut mid-sentence? From somebody who knows nothing about post-production, I can tell you that's bad editing. What are we doing? Yeah, <laughs> Let's address the cast here a little bit because I like to call these movies blackmail slash paying your dues movies where it's very much like either the producer had pictures of people or they had like Robert Downey Jr. was calling in favors left and right because this cast is so overqualified for what they're yeah. asked to do. There's five Oscar winners in here. Right. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how you can get much better and, than that. And, and a Spider-Man. And, <laughs> and I understand you need to get a little bit of star power. Not a, now, I'm not asking you to cast the cast of Parasite as the animals. Like, I understand you want to have names on your post. That would be amazing. I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, I, like, I understand you want Rami Malek in there because he's got a lot of heat right now. And John Cena. And obviously Tom Holland has worked with Robert Downey Jr. So you want these people in there. But then give them something to do. 
And like the live action people fare even worse. Like Michael Sheen is basically playing a live action version of that magician from the Frosty the Snowman skit. Like I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with half of this. And I just think there's no direction. Yeah, they've straight up. Everything around Michael Sheen's character was blatantly garbage. Just (laughs) stupid. (laughs) Like like not even subtle garbage. Like Like even if this was one of the first movies you had ever seen, it might be okay. But the jokes are like so unoriginal, so lazy, so... I think the most egregious part about the jokes is that it's just silly talking. It's just animals making funny voices. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like... There's no even humor about the animals. Like, there's so many animal puns that you could make at this, or, like, visual humor of the animals in weird situations. We get a little bit about that with the ostrich in the Buckingham Palace and like, the first act. But after that, it's just animals walking around saying silly things. There's no creativity in the jokes whatsoever. They're saying silly things, and they're also saying things that no kids will understand. This is one of those movies that has, like, references to other movies that, like... Oh, oh, is the four-year-old in the audience going to understand that reference right there? Like, <laughs> right. And how many times has a kid's movie done the Godfather reference? That's what I'm saying. Like, who the, <laughs> hell, who the hell is that for? It's not for adults anymore. They've seen it ten times in ten other kids' movies. Right. It must be for Grandpa, who remembers seeing it as a teen in the theater. <laughs> like Jake's friend. <laughs> I was. There was a point... Actually, yeah, this is what I want to address. Why was the first five minutes animated? Oh. The movie opens, and I went... Am I? What is this? I thought that was pretty pretty cute. No, I love that animation, and I think the movie completely accidentally pitched a better version yes. of itself. Yep, a hundred percent. I was just so caught off guard. Like, it was in like the Klaus style from Netflix. It almost seemed like yeah, um, like almost hand drawn animated and uh, really really cool. And that's where you could have gotten so much more creative with how the animals look, exploring the world, exploring Doolittle's house, the island. There's so many more visual details that you could have packed into an animated package, but you kept on trying to accommodate for the live-action actors in this version of the movie, and the movie suffered for it because you were just constantly jumping around from scene to scene. Oh, Downey's got to make room for the polar bear in this shot, so let's move him over a couple frames and hope it works out. I I was like, there are so many times where they're obviously blatantly trying to just fit all these stars and give them their lines in this movie. But for the the animation, maybe I didn't see what you guys saw, but for me, I was like, do they just not have a beginning for this movie so they threw in an animation? Is that (laughs) what happened? That's also very possible. Like, Like Nate put it perfectly, they accidentally pitched a good movie. Right. Like, if you had told me that... If you had told me this movie was directed by the polar bear, I would have believed you because there's (laughs) there's just no – there's no semblance of flow. It's just all over the place. Yeah, there's no flow at all. And I want to transition into spoilers because, I mean, the internet has spoiled what we're going to talk about in spoilers already. I wish it didn't. It's just – it is so boring for three quarters of the movie and then does one of the craziest things I have ever seen in one of these movies. (laughs) Which we will talk about in a bit. That's God, called I, tease. I wish I didn't know it going in. Me, yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, and, and even then, it still oh, can't Lord. prepare you for what we're about to talk about. I probably out loud would have went, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got nothing. <laughs> let's move into our ratings here. If you're joining us for the first time, we rate movies on what is called the seat scale. If we think a movie has no flaws, which I'm sure Jake is going to give this movie a royal throne. Um, if we think a movie has... Minimal flaws and is mostly great. We give it a plush recliner. 
the inverse of that, if we think a movie is pretty good but also has some major glaring flaws, we give it a wooden seat. If we think a movie is like not very good but not irredeemable, we give it a damp lawn chair. If we think a movie is like a disaster, like really bad, we give it a sleazy outhouse. And if we think you need to see it in theaters, we give it the bag of popcorn moniker. So I have a feeling I have a range of where we're all going to land on this, but just confirm <laughs> it for me, Nate. What would you give Doolittle? All right. I am going to go damp lawn chair. Uh, it's <laughs> it's not a like close to wooden seat damp lawn chair. It's a firm, soggy damp lawn chair on this one. Uh, I'll reserve sleazy outhouses for movies that make me genuinely angry. This didn't quite get me there because I was too bored to have any sort of emotional investment into it. <laughs> uh, Robert Downey Jr. is not good in this. The supporting cast, like Jake said earlier, they're just peppering in, like, almost in kindergarten line order. Like, all right, it's going to be Octavia's line here, Tom Holland's line yeah. here, just down the chain. Uh, so they don't really have much to do here either. They're just expositioning or making a corny joke that isn't even funny. So not too much redeemable about this movie other than the fact that it's bright and colorful and didn't make me angry. <laughs> Glowing review. Wow, for Nick yeah, put that on the poster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I I don't know you get credit for not making someone angry, but <laughs> I don't think you get points for that. I didn't but want my money. I back. Hear you. Congratulations, yeah. No, I feel you though. No, I, I we're giving you a hard time, but I completely I feel what you're saying. Yeah. So now that I guess it's my turn, Andrew doesn't have to pitch it to me. Um, I, I no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not. I this movie didn't piss me off. I just thought the first like ten minutes of the the boy hunting and whatever was stupid, like blatantly bad. That kid sucks, by the way. Yeah, he was ah, uh, he was not good. I mean, he's acting against green sticks the whole time, but still. Yeah, and then it's just mm. it's just generally dull and not exciting for most of it, and then the ending is just kind of dumb again. <laughs> but it never like pissed me off like Nate said. But I'm trying to think of the redeemable redeemable qualities, and the only things I can come up with are the squirrel played by Craig Robinson made me crack a smile once or twice. Same. Kumail Nanjiani as the ostrich made me crack a smile once or twice. Same. Uh, and John <laughs> John Cena as the polar bear had one or two lines that made me crack a smile, and then nothing else anywhere. So I I think I'm gonna be a little harsh on it and go sleazy at house. Because I'm also forgetting the movie 24 hours later. That's a bad sign. Yeah. It's like Memento. <laughs> it didn't piss me off, but I think I have to go Sleazy Outhouse. i got to be a little harsh here. Yeah, here's why I'm going Sleazy Outhouse to start with it. I, Nate, I agree. It didn't offend me when I was watching it. And then I left, and I thought about just how, <laughs> how many famous people are in this, how much money they spent to just make an empty black hole void of a movie. <laughs> $175 million used for this piece of garbage when Australia is on fire and we could be sending that money over there. <laughs> oh, lordy. Among many other things. So that's what gets me about that. Like, this movie, this movie brings nothing to the table, and it leaves... With all of your dignity. <laughs> it, it's a sleazy outhouse used by all of the animals in this movie. Oh, I would man. not. <laughs> oh, man. I, I really wouldn't venture. Uh, let's get into spoilers. There's not too much to spoil, but there is, as Sid and Toy Story said, there is the big one. So we'll get into that. <laughs> if you have not seen Doolittle, uh, good for it you. It doesn't matter. You can tune in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. Anyway, 
Everybody, come along. Join us on this ride. Tune in. <laughs> Let, let's talk about Doolittle spoilers. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. Let, let's just skip to the end here because yeah, please. there's no reason. It's the only thing really worth talking about. No, yeah. yeah, like we go to the end. This movie has more in common with Uncut Gems than I thought it would, to be completely honest. Like Uncut Gems begins with butt stuff and this one ends with butt stuff. Oh, that's what you meant. Uh, I mean, Adam Sandler versus a dragon is a little different. Uh, but basically the, the dragon has something like a, like colon cancer or something like that. Is colon yeah, let, let, something? Let's get this clear for people that are tuned in and didn't hear it. There's a dragon at the end of this movie. Oh yeah, there's yes. that too. Yeah, yeah, it, they're legitimately. Uh, yeah, it's it's guarding the magic tree that has the medicine they need to save the queen. So the dragon is at the end of the island here. Doolittle does his thing where he's running away from the dragon for the first little bit, but then uses his powers to talk to the dragon and like get him to relate because they've both lost a loved one and then it takes the weirdest <laughs> turn this side of 2020. I, I yeah, love that is... Doolittle relates to the dragon because they're both widowers. Like, <laughs> like what? yeah, okay. Well, and that's, and that's like a genuine heartfelt moment. And then we pivot. Drew, take it away, please. <laughs> so the, the dragon has something stuck in its colon, so they need to perform emergency colon surgery on the dragon to make it happy and live again. So all the animals are there. Basically, they flip the dragon over and the dragon just rips one. And it turns out that stuck in the dragon's asshole and back area is, among other many other things, a bagpipe. Like... <laughs> okay. It's just like... I. This is what Simon and Garfunkel were talking about when they were talking about the sound of silence because... Just nothing. Like, like, Joaquin Phoenix Joker laugh from Nate. Stun oh silence from like, Jake, who is yeah, losing I, the movie as we talk about it right I now. Was I see amused. it coming out your ears. Yeah. Like, I, I legitimately could not believe it. Like, like we said, the internet spoiled this far and wide before any of us had even gotten close to the theater for this one. I wish they had There it. was one dude on Twitter that was like, I won't spoil which movie, but there's a dragon... And there's bagpipes. It's like that's. I don't think it's bad boy for life, dude. Like I think there's only uh, one option. <laughs> whatever. But like I went in expecting like that to just be the fart joke, you know. But this whole pulling stuff out of the dragon's ass goes on for like three minutes. Yeah, way too long. It was like okay, I'm uncomfortable <laughs> now. I'm uncomfortable for the small children in this theater now. What the hell was this yeah. decision? The the concept of like a dragon having armor and bagpipes pipes stuck up its ass like there's maybe something there no no the answer is no jake <laughs> no, no it wasn't executed well and it goes on too long like i'm you every so often you can get me with a fart joke this did not do it Ugh, uh, I, was, I don't know i don't know I, boys. I wish they didn't spoil <laughs> this because this is this is a prime example of a movie with ridiculous concepts still going out of the realm of reality so this is a movie where a man is gifted with being able to talk to animals. Great. Other than that, it's gr it takes place in reality. Why is there a dragon and magic fruit at the end? What are we talking about? What happened? Where did you go? I got, I got nothing. Yeah. And like, <laughs> even the like the magical element of being able to talk to animals is completely thrown out by the end of the movie because the little kid is able to pick up all this animal yeah. speak by the end. It's just like taking an elective. 
Oh, I, intro to Spanish? No, intro to I'm going to talk to fish and whales and yeah. dragonflies. <laughs> yeah, Homeboy picks that up in 10 days. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't I, I get I really it. thought they were going to Star Wars it and have him related to Robert Downey Jr. Like, oh, it was actually your son. You never knew. And I was like, here we go. <laughs> I really thought they were going to do it, and I was getting mad. Oh. Other than that, I, the, the villain's plan is stupid. Yeah. Like, if there's even a chance he can talk to the animals, why are we risking it by talking about the evil plan in front of the animals? Yep. I, I don't know. One point that I wanted to make up with, um, just elaborating a little bit more about what I said earlier, about this feels like a storyboard film, and they didn't account for transition scenes in between. My favorite example of this is when they go to, like, the the pirate island, or whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, with, like, um, with, like, RuPaul Antonio Banderas, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that whole, that whole setup. They have to interject with narration for the first time... <laughs> In the entire movie, outside the intro and the outro, yeah. they're like, "Oh shoot, we totally did not like film <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. explaining why they have to go to this island." So let's just have the parrot do it in voiceover narration, like she's telling us a bedtime story. It's the only other time it shows up in the movie. It makes no sense whatsoever, and it's totally post-production people saying. You Shit. gotta call the parrot lady back in. Like we we physically <laughs> cannot edit this movie together without narration. The parrot lady, Oscar winner Emma Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want a, a a short, but a documentary made about the making of this movie because what happened and how, why is Danny Jr. attached to it? Like I get from a logistics standpoint why he would want to do it. Like it's another big popular character, but they're now apparently I haven't seen a lot of them, but they're apparently oh for four with Doctor Doolittle because the Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I've, heard I've seen the well. Eddie Murphy second one and that was terrible as well. I've not seen the one from the '60s. It was nominated for Best Picture, but there was only like eight movies back then. So <laughs> right, they all got nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> yeah, I I obviously have not seen the original. I I remember the first Eddie Murphy one. All right, but I couldn't tell you the plot or anything that I thought was I, funny from it. The only thing I remember about the second one, and this I can see Jake loving this movie growing up. The okay. bear has like diarrhea at a diner and like blows up oh, one of the God. toilets. Yeah, it's the it's the Kangaroo God. Jack syndrome again, where it's just like it would be Jake's best picture of the year. Not Kangaroo Jack's shade. not a bad movie. Yeah, it is. Let's move on. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's a very bad movie. <laughs> Kangaroo Jack is in our top five movies discussed on this podcast by far. Like, <laughs> it comes up way too much. <laughs> Going back to this movie's production, though, I'm under the impression that Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, like, co-produced this movie. They this did. This like almost yeah. a passion project, right? Yep. They did. So I, I don't understand yeah. how this could have gone so wrong. You had a heavy hand in Marvel. What they happened? They just picked the wrong dude to direct it. I don't know. Going back to the slapdash kind of pieced together part of it, the animal characters, their own little side subplots are like they were not written. There's You can't convince me they were written because they were <laughs> definitely things that came up. Like like Kumail Anjiani's ostrich and John Cena's polar bear have like a relationship that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. They introduce it when they're first on the boat, and then they resolve it like 15 minutes later. It's like, oh, we don't get along because you're a bird that doesn't fly, and you're a polar bear that's kind of a pussy. Yeah, I didn't realize that was supposed to be their arc. I just thought that was like funny banter between the two yeah. of them. But then <laughs> – that was the and character. then all of a sudden, like, one saves what? the other, and it's a happy arc. And I was like, "Oh, 
Okay. <laughs> We're friends right, now. Then. Okay, cool. Like, all right. Uh-huh. And then, the, like we said, the, they just got Remy Malik to put on his pussiest voice and just, like, be scared the whole movie. And then he's not. And then punch a tiger in the nuts. Good lord. A tiger voiced by Ray Fiennes, which, like, oh, my God. Who's also kind of a bitch of a tiger. Right. Like, what's up? Why is Ray Fiennes in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> like, the Craig Robinson stuff I thought was kind of funny at the beginning where he's like, day 12, I'm still alive. My murderer is still here. I thought that was like funny for like a line or two. And then they kept going. Yeah. There were parts where I had, you know, those, you know, those little things where you go, I had a couple of those Uh and that was it. (laughs) Yeah. All right, boys, let's wrap this up here. I think we're running out of things. Please. I don't really have anything else to say. Yeah. (laughs) So Jake, one more word on Doolittle. Why? Uh, literally one word. Okay, we're done. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nate, I guess one more word on Doolittle. Mess. All right. Uh, mine would be PETA, as in call PETA, because this is an assault <laughs> to all animals everywhere. Uh, what a train wreck. It's kind of what we expected, but still. A pure disaster. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. This coming December, when I'm compiling my favorite movies of the year 2020, I will go... Oh, right. I saw this. This came out. And that will be it. Maybe this will be the movie that we have to watch three times in a row for the box office challenge. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Indeed. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I could, but I'll, I will be drinking. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not. I couldn't be the worst thing. Whatever. That's a whole separate conversation. That'll do it for our <laughs> review of Doolittle and wrap up this episode of the Mill Seeds podcast. Before we go, Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the Internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. It's pretty safe to say. I'm going to go out on a limb, boys and say that Doolittle will not be on our best of 2020 list. But we already put out our best of 2019 list. So if you haven't listened to that yet, please give that a shot. Uh, Obviously, we talked about Star Wars recently and Knives Out, a lot of movies that are still circulating around the masses that we want you to potentially see or not see. You have to listen to the review to find out. Um, In the coming weeks, we'll have to discuss what we're talking about. I think probably our next movie will be Birds of Prey, but we'll have to discuss that with the group, and we'll get back to you at some point. Uh, Also look out, we're going to be doing some fun things with our Best of the Decade, too, as well. We each selected three movies that were special to us, and we'll be revealing them as the coming weeks go, as we move closer to Oscar season and finally putting a bow on 2019 and the 2010s and mass. That will do it for this episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. For Nate Longarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon.